Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert healthcare to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo. Welcome to this week's edition of Walk Talk. I'm your host, Jody Scardillo. For this special episode this week in celebration of WOC Nurse Week 2022, I'm delighted to be joined by Dia Kent. Dia is the president of the WOCN Society and delivered a webinar earlier in the week entitled The WOC Nurse, Empowering the Leader Within. Today, we're going to be talking about some questions that were left unanswered by the audience and other topics relative to leadership with Dia. Thanks so much for joining me today, Dia, in follow-up to a webinar that you did earlier this week for Walk Week. I'm excited to have you on today. Well, thank you very much. So, Jody, thank you. And let me congratulate you on doing this, the 100th podcast of our society. You have done many of them. I know you've had other people that have helped. Kevin Emmons was was a person that comes to mind, but this is number 100. And how cool to have number 100 actually occur and be recorded on WOC Nurse Week 2022. That's pretty awesome. Congratulations and thank you. Well, thank you. It's certainly been fun, and I can't believe it's 100 already. And I'm delighted that you, our president, are here to celebrate our 100th episode. So that's great. So you did this great webinar about leadership, and there'll be a lot of resources for anybody that's interested on the topic that you talked about and the tools that you shared. And so at the end of this, I'll put up the links for so people know where to get that information. But it is Walk Week. So first of all, I want to know what you're doing personally to celebrate for Walk Week. Well, I had a webinar that was pretty cool to be able to talk to our folks about leadership. Of course, that webinar was written, the contents of the webinar was written by multiple board members. So it wasn't just myself. It includes members of the board from 2021, that sort of time frame. And so I really appreciate all the work that the folks that contributed to that did. I think it just is a way to show some great collaboration. As far as WSP Nurse Week goes, of course, my day job. My primary job is at the university. And so when I mentioned to my boss and to my colleagues that it was WC Nurse Week, they kind of laughed and said, but I thought every week was WC Nurse Week. (laughs) And I said, well, you're right, it is. Because I don't think there's a week that goes by that I don't mention, you know, the society or we should do this for the students or don't you think they need a little more ostomy education or whatever. So that was kind of funny. I like that every every week is Walker's week. <laughs> so now you've had an array of leadership positions through your over 20 years in the society, you know, starting at the local level and now moving all the way up to the presidency where you are now. So tell me if you were a born natural leader or is that some kind of a skill set that you've developed? And if you developed it, how did you do it? Well, that's a really great question. We should probably bring my mom in for this conversation and my brother and my dad. They tell me that I'm the oldest child, of course, and they tell me 
that I've always been a leader. That's what they say. But my brother specifically said, who's younger than I am, that that's true if you equivocate leadership with bossiness. <laughs> so I I guess my my answer is, in all seriousness, I think it's both. You know, I wonder when people say things like they're a natural leader or, you know, oh, they're such a great leader. You know, is it true? Are we born as leaders? I think that we all have leadership characteristics. And I think that if they show themselves at an early age and we always find ourselves kind of in the front, I think people tell us that we're a natural born leader. And we can go with the assumption that that's true. But you know what? I've had to develop along the way because, you know, if we're natural born anythings, we have to work to get better. If my kid is a great ball player and doesn't do extra weights and extra batting practice or extra free throw shots, then they're going to be a good ball player, but to be a superb or a better ball player, they'll have to put in the work. Larry Bird is from Indiana. I'm from Indiana. Larry Bird shot hundreds of free throws before and after school every day from the time he was, you know, a little kid. And you know what? That paid off for him in the NBA. Was he a natural tall basketball kid? Maybe, but he still had to develop. He had to put the work in. And so I think that even if there are characteristics that people see when people are younger, I still think you have to hone it. I think that there has to be a little sandpaper. I think there has to be a little rain, a little water, some food, and some experiences to make us who we are. Okay. And so did you have mentors along the way through your career? Yes, through my career. But, you know, thinking about when I was younger, even as a kid, you know, I had teachers who, you know, saw something in me who would give me things to do that helped me to flourish and, and that kind of thing. But once I became, became a nurse and a WSC nurse, there are people that, that I can name that have profoundly influenced me as a nurse. I think that, you know, I never met her, but Florence Nightingale is still my hero. I, I think about her and her innovations, some of the thoughts that she had so far back, how could she have known and seen that? That is so inspiring to me. From a practical mentor standpoint, you know, I think about people, I went to Emory, so Dorothy Doty, of mm-hmm. course, and, mm-hmm. you know, how can you not look at some of the giants in our society and not even formally or just even informally not call them a mentor, thinking about, you know, being involved in the journal and Michael Gray. But I have to tell you that when I became a WOC nurse, the old interstitial therapist in town, her name was Evelyn, and Evelyn had an ostomy. She was one of those people that met that requirement when that was a requirement. You know, Evelyn had retired when I was going to school to do wounds and Back in the days of landlines and phone books, she looked me up and she (laughs) called me and asked me if I'd like to meet her at the hospital. And so I did. And, you know, Evelyn just had words of encouragement for me and she would see me at the mall. And then I, you know, would be with the kids somewhere. And she, no matter what she was doing, she would stop and she'd say, how's it going? And how are things now? And 
how are you doing with this? And oh my gosh, you're doing that now. And, you know, Evelyn has always served as an informal mentor to me just because she's a cheerleader. And what's so weird is that her brother is an accountant and ended up doing my taxes. And when he found out what I did for a living, he said, Hey, do you know my sister? So that was great fun. And so I was even able to reconnect with her in her advanced years recently. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And she is impressed with how far that our specialty has come. And, you know, from someone who was around for a long time back in the day, it's very thrilling for her to hear and see some of the things that we're doing. So, you know, I think that's good. I've had great bosses throughout the years that have taught me lots of things about leadership. I had a boss one time. I love her to death. Her name was Darcy. Every time I would have my one-on-one monthly meeting with Darcy, the first few times, at least I'd go with my list. I'd go with my list because her time's valuable and I've got these things on my list. And I would walk in and sit down and she'd say, so how are you? How are the kids? How's it going at home? So what are you up to? How's the music coming? She goes, I mean, I mean, everything in the world. And I would look down at my watch and think, oh my gosh, I've got 15 minutes to talk about 15 things. But what I learned from her is that relationship is foundational. And I value that. And she was an awesome leader. She was great. So I learned an awful lot from Darcy about there's always time for the stuff, especially if you make time for the really important stuff. Those are profound words, right? In the webinar, you talked about the most important thing, qualities to have to be a good leader and a little bit about the hard parts about being a leader. What are there or what are the easier parts? The easy parts of being a leader are the wins and celebrations and meeting goals and, you know, meeting objectives and seeing people grow and promoting people. And that's the fun stuff, you know, seeing a project that goes from zero to flourishing or seeing a person who you've mentored exceed, succeed. All those are wins. That's the really fun, easy stuff, the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And what kind of strategies, and I think many walk nurses will be interested in this, what kind of strategies do you use to get a group of people to be enthusiastic and embrace something like a practice change that maybe it's a clinical issue that's going to be more work and a change and, you know, all of the things associated with the practice change. How do you get that going and get people engaged and all that? Gosh, you know, I think the techniques are as varied as the people, but I think that when you're in the midst of a practice change or you're launching it, I think a few things have to happen. I think, first of all, It's not enough to inform people about why the change has to happen, you know, because if that was true, then we would never have to tell our children to take out the trash more than once because the fact that the trash overflows and should be taken out should be reason enough for them to do it. Yet, I bet that there are households all across America and beyond that have to tell their kids multiple times to do something even if reasons are given. So I think if if that was enough, that would be great, but it isn't enough because sometimes people understand the reason for the change, but they cannot wrap their head around why it's important for them to change or what difference it's really going to make. Some people are not 
people that can see in the future. Some people don't understand the value of change. Most people resist change. So I think that while that can't be the only strategy and you do have to inform people about why the change is necessary, I think that, first of all, you have to stick to it. You can't abandon your post. So if you're the change agent, if you're the person who's trying to bring about the change, you're overseeing the committee, you're the super user, you're the whatever, you cannot abandon the ship. You cannot accept and begin to model exceptions. You have to stay the course. You know, you have to keep doing the course. And I think that the unpleasant part that people really don't like to do when rallying people for change is they don't always like to hold people accountable when they don't participate in the change. So if a policy changes or a procedure changes and people would rather do it the old way than the new way, you know, just letting the old way slip by. Instead, it's more painful and more work to say, look, I'm sorry, but we don't do it that way any longer. We need to try the new way. Here's why. And I really appreciate you trying. I understand change is hard. I think you have to always be human with the conversation. The other thing I think is you have to catch people being successful and you have to celebrate success because if all you do is correct the behavior that's undesirable and you don't do anything about the behavior that you see, that is what you're trying to go for then no one wants to do anything. If all you do is put your kid in the corner all the time and you never say to your child, but thank you for your quick obedience and washing your hands or whatever the case may be, then you're only browbeating people and there is no motivation to come along with you on the change journey. So I think you have to catch people doing the right thing. I also think too, that you have to get the right people in the right seats. So if you've got an informal leader in your group who is very vocal and is very resistant to the change, you got to find a way to get the informal leader onto your side of the island so that they can be working with you. I think that's always going to be important because that, that makes for less other battles that you're fighting. And you know what? The last thing I would say is sometimes people just want to be asked to be on the team. They don't want you to tell them to change. They want you to come and talk to them about the change and they're happy to get on the boat, but they just don't want, they have to be told so many other things. Don't our agencies just tell us stuff all the time? They don't always come and ask us our opinion. So I always think it's important too to not try to adopt solutions without stakeholder input. If possible, it's not always possible, but if we're changing a way of doing things that's going to affect the way other people do their job, we need to get their input. We cannot just create a beautiful solution that really in practicality may not work. So I think we have to seek input. And I think if we do those things and we let people know how valuable they are to us and that they're needed for the change or for the project, people will get on board. It's when we dictate and mandate that people have an affinity to not want to do what we want to do. So I think approach is everything. Okay. And do you have particular authors or books on leadership that you've liked? I don't have any that I use that I 
you know, if I've got a difficult problem that I can flip to page 34 and figure out how to solve it. <laughs> I wish you I did. Do, <laughs> me too. But I do, I really appreciate Simon Sinek and I appreciate Brene Brown. And I just think that they do make a lot of sense. I appreciate the perspective. I really like listening to people talk about leadership and life experiences because I think that there are nuggets in everybody's experience that can help you be a better whatever you are. And if whatever you are is a WOC nurse, we know inherently you're already a leader of some sort, but we all lead something, don't we? We're a mom or a, a wife, a significant other. We're a troop leader, a, a club den leader. We're the bingo caller. You know, all of us lead something in our lives. We're all in charge of something in our lives. And I think that when we listen and and read those books, but just listen to people tell their their stories, sometimes we can learn things. You know, teaching in the FNP program, you know, clinicals, you guys, everybody's had clinical because we're all nurses, right? So we know that we had good clinical days and we know we had other days that weren't so good. But I tell my students, you should learn something from every experience. If it was a really good experience, you're going to gain a lot of great nuggets. But if it was a bad experience, don't discount your experience. What did you take from that experience? Maybe it's, I don't want to be that kind of nurse. I don't want to treat someone that way. I don't want to communicate in that manner. I don't want people to feel like I'm off-putting, et cetera. Then I think that if you can refocus yourself to make everything an experience that you can take something from, then inherently you're developing as a person, as a leader, as a human. And I think that's kind of my style. Mm -hmm. I think so too. <laughs> and in the webinar, you talked, I loved this phrase. You talked about WAC nurses being a clinical solution innovator. So will you elaborate on that a little bit? Gosh, that was really good. That's like a CSI situation. I wonder if we could approach a network about that. Uh, seriously. Uh, CSI, <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, we are. I think back going to Emory, and I'm sure all the walking up, I'm sure they're the same because, you know, at least before the pandemic, when we would all go on site and do things, or when they spent time with their preceptors, I will never forget the day that Dorothy Doty taught our class. She said, You can make an ostomy pouch out of anything. What? Out of anything. Okay. So she's talking about plastic bags and bread ties and bread bags. And I had to learn how to make an ostomy pouch out of the craziest things. And you know what? I never forgot that. I think about that actually so many times in the day, not because I'm dealing with ostomy people that I have to make ostomy pouches with bread ties and bread bags, but because when we come up with solutions or problems that you think, what, what are we doing here? I always think about that. And I always think, you know, there's always a solution. And I and my team, we have enough thinkology to get to the solution. We just have to be creative. And so sometimes when we're creating solution, I think about sitting at the table at Emory, making those pouches. And even though we're not doing anything at all, Maybe we're talking about a process. Maybe we're talking about a problem. I think, you know, there's always a solution. We just have to take out our scissors and our <laughs> tape 
<laughs> and our markers. Yeah. And we are going to get there and find an innovative solution because that's what we do. We're nurses first and we're very resourceful. But WOC nurses can fashion a pouch out of just about anything. And I think that if we remember that, then really the solution may not seem evident, but at some point it will bear itself out. If you work on it enough, it'll mm-hmm. not leak. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. <laughs> Great <laughs> phrase. I think we should do something with that. <laughs> So I know, as I've had a few different roles in the society, I had really people that mentored me in different roles. And so I wanted you, since you are the leader of our society, talk a little bit about how the society leadership mentors and develops volunteers. And how do you help somebody that maybe is struggling in like a volunteer leader position? Well, you know, I started in my region, the Mideast region, and I got involved because of a woman named Patty Burke, who's from Cincinnati or Kentucky, depending on if she's at home or at work. And she was very friendly and I approached her. I said, I just want to get involved. And I think my first job was that I was the newsletter person. That was back in the day when you had to type like on the, on the real typewriter situation and you needed correction tape and all kinds of words might come out of your mouth when you were, you know, and no matter how good you were, you'd find a typo after the printers. And, you know, I remember doing that and I did so very happily, but I always tease her that she saw some kind of potential in me. And if she hadn't allowed me to get involved, then who knows what I would be doing. I think that sometimes, first of all, People just want to be asked, just like I talked about before. Sometimes people just want to be asked to be involved. Other people are like me and they're just like, okay, what can I do? Because I want to do something. But, you know, sometimes people don't get involved because no one's approached them and asked them. And I think that as WOC nurses, we need to remember that we need to embrace others and bring them in. But secondarily, I think that we need to make sure that when we bring folks in, that we need to remember that they've never done this before. And so they might come up with some crazy ideas. They might come up with some different ways to do things, but that's okay. And I also think that as I think back on my journey with WOC nursing, which I think has been the very best thing that could have ever happened. I think that there were people along the way who, who did see my potential and were really Good. And when I say my potential, that sounds so weird and stuff, but people that would just speak in into me, speak good stuff into me and tell me to keep going and keep doing this and keep doing that. So I think that as we identify people to be our replacement in the future as as leaders in the society, we have to just bring them in and we need to let them do what they do. And that includes sometimes making crazy mistakes and all that. And To that, as a segue, if we see someone that is faltering or having a hard time or whatever, I think that's where that relationship piece comes in. We've got to be able to saddle up alongside them and not point our finger at them, but instead put our arm around them and say, it looks like you're struggling. How can I help you? What can I do? What resources do you need? Is this a bad fit for you? How do I help you to get out of this into something that you'd like to do? And, you know, you don't have to be the president to do that. You can be 
a person who can connect someone. Patty Burke ended up being the president of the CB for a long time, and she's held a lot of positions. And when I got to be the president, she called me up to remind me that she was ready to serve whenever I felt necessary, wherever I felt necessary. And I think that shows us that as a leader, we should always be ready to serve in whatever capacity we can. You know, someone told me recently, a former president of our society said, you know, the person who should be the most passionate about the society is the president. And if you find someone who's more passionate than you, then maybe they ought to be the president. And I think that that's right. And so I'm passionate about certainly our society and all the things that we do. But as you know, Jody, I'm always away about the members and I want to talk to and find out. And if you ask other people like Barbara Dale specifically, she says that when she sees my number come up on her phone, that she knows that she's getting ready to do something she's never done before. So I guess it just depends. I never volunteered anybody. I just present opportunities in a persuasive (laughs) format. So I think that that's what we should all do. We should be reaching out to continue to make our, our society better. And our society wouldn't be anything if we didn't have people. And it won't be anything if we don't continue to grow people, grow people who want to be the next president who are more passionate about the society, you know, than maybe their peers are or want to be able to lead or whatever. So, okay. So you may have heard the old saying, if you want something done, ask the busiest person. You have a lot going on. And so I want to know practically how you organize your time so that you are so productive and what hints do you have for somebody like me who's not really innately an organized (laughs) person? (laughs) I always think, I do agree that you probably do have to have some kind of organization. I, I don't disagree with that. But, you know, I think that people have time for what they have time for. You know, people always have enough money for what they have enough money for. Ice cream is one of my favorite things in the whole world. I might be down to my last dollar and I might have to spend it on a scoop of ice cream. I'm not sure, you know, gas ice cream. I don't know. I mean, I think people, the most things that we have, which are time and money, those are the things that we have. Now, we all don't have the same amount of money but we do all have the same amount of time. And I think that people choose what to do. I think that busy people are busy for a couple of reasons. Sometimes it's because they can't say no and then they increase their bandwidth and they don't do anything excellently because they're doing everything in a mediocre fashion. And I think some busy people are just highly organized, high energy people that can do a lot of things. I think you have to recognize which of those people you are. And if you're the first one, you have to learn one very simple word. No. No. There's nothing wrong with saying no. No doesn't mean that we have to end our friendship, that we have to never speak again, or that I'll never approach you again. In fact, I probably will in six months to see how things are. However, I think that you have to know yourself and know. I think from my perspective, It cracks me up. I have a friend who thinks that I color code everything and have a planner. If she only knew, I really don't. I'm glad she thinks that it's easy. I Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I get into a meeting and I think, oh, I hope I brought the right stuff to this meeting. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that for me, it is making sure that my calendar is right. 
I try to keep one calendar in the case right now of being the president, I have two calendars that have everything on them. I have a calendar that the management company can look at that has all my stuff on it. Doctor's appointments, everything, all my, everything. And then on my work calendar is everything, including WOC stuff. And for me, having that on my phone helps me in the morning to look and know what I have to do. And one of the things that I do is I set alarms. So if I have a meeting at two and a meeting at 10 and a meeting at six, I set alarms so that I won't forget about the meeting because sometimes I'm in back-to-back meetings, not looking at schedule. Other times when I know I just have one meeting and I'm so happy, I just, then I'm able, it's my free time to go in and answer emails and stuff. One of the things that I try to do personally is I try to make sure that I'm present for my family. So, you know, many people know I have a little four-year-old and then I have grown up kids and I have a grandkid and it's important to me to have family time. So that might mean that when I get off work, it's dinner time and play time, or eventually it might be homework time. And then after, you know, bedtime, then I have a choice. I can either watch TV or surf the internet, or I can answer emails or whatever. And I mean, we're all guilty of surfing the internet or watching TV, and that's important time. But you also have to be able to you know, set your goals. And there are times when I'd rather be watching TV, but I need to answer emails or I need to work on a project. I think the other thing too for busy people is knowing that all of us are imperfect and we're all going to miss it. And you just have to forgive yourself and go on. I'm a list maker too. And after something's been on my list for a week, I try to put the thing that I am not looking forward to doing the most at the top of my list and try to make myself do that and get it out of the way so that I can celebrate that I did something I didn't want to do, that it was done well. And then I usually say, well, that wasn't that bad. I wonder what my problem was. And, you know, so I'm a list maker that way. And that gets me through it. I wish that I could tell you that I was so organized, but that's what works for me. That's what works for me very rewarding crossing off that thing on the list that you didn't want to do, isn't it? Like you have to do that with pencil or pen and really enthusiastically cross it off, right? Enthusiastically. I like that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I don't make lists on the computer because I need to touch it and tear it up when it's done. Right. Right. Tear up my piece of paper Mm -hmm. or whatever. So absolutely. I'm with you on that. So during the webinar, someone else asked about important characteristics of a good leader. And you talked about honesty, which was really great. What else do you think it's important in terms of characteristics? So I I think that being a good leader, first of all, I would say that what I think is a good leader now was probably not what I thought made a good leader, say, over 30 years ago when I graduated from nursing school. I think that you know, our life experience makes us different, makes us see things differently. And I think that I would have defined a good leader as someone who would give me the days off I was looking for in my schedule and who <laughs> yeah. wasn't mean to me and begged me to work all the time. I don't know <laughs> what I would have thought a good leader was. But today, I think that a good leader is self-aware and intentional. I mean, yes, honest. But what I mean by self-aware is understanding that It sounds kind of weird, but you're not the end-all be-all to people. You cannot solve everybody's problems. 
That's not what your job is. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, as a leader, me personally, I see myself as a facilitator. What do I need to do to get that person to be successful in what they're trying to do? Or for example, with a student, well, if I just do something for them, they learn nothing. But if I empower them to be able to do something and they do it on their own, then they have learned. It is not important to me to have to be number one. It is more important to me to see other people grow because, gosh, if I were number one all the time, then when I retire or die, then there's only a number two or a three that never got ever to try to do anything else. And that's not what I think is is wise. I also think this, I think succession planning begins on the first day of your new job. After you find all the bathrooms and stuff like that, it's important. I think that's the philosophy, which I realize on the first day, you may not know everybody, but you know, the thing is, is that you ought to be always looking around seeing who can I develop? Who has this? Who has that? You know, some leaders, there are leadership skills that can be taught. And so I am convinced that one of the primary things that you can't define that I would define would be a passion for whatever that person is leading. So a leader is a leader. But you know what? If I wanted to be the leader of NASA, I should probably have some interest in the space program, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that the head of NASA, should he want to come have my job, he might want to know a little bit or she about WC nursing. We both may be possession of leadership qualities, but if we're not passionate about what we're leading, to me, I think the passion fuels everything else. I think that's right. Well, I think being a leader is hard. There are hard days. And if you don't have passion to fuel you and pad you and rub in like healing balm when you get wounded, then you can't do it. You become bitter and you become disgruntled and then you become a poor leader because you're having personal crises. So I think passion is actually probably foundational. It's not something you can teach. I can teach you time management. You can go learn how to win friends and influence people. You can do a lot of things, but you can't teach passion. It has to be in there because it's in there. And I think that's the most important thing. Okay. And what do you think about self-awareness? Like a lot of people that are great leaders that I've come across in my path are, are very self-aware of how they how they are and how they act as a human and also as a like a work type of leader. What do you think about that? I think self-awareness is important, but I also think that we all still have blind spots. And so I think that a good leader, when a blind spot is brought to their attention, as easy as it is to be reactionary, needs to not be reactionary, needs to say, okay, all right, so this person perceived this about me. I wonder if that's true. Maybe I should check that out with some other people that are honest with me because did that person have a bad day? You know, our perception is our reality, right? So is it true? Is this something that keeps coming up? Because if so, then I need as a leader to work on it, right? And I think that's where self-awareness is. And I think self-awareness is also knowing when you made a mistake and then fixing it immediately. 
apologizing, righting the wrong. And I think that if you cannot be the quote unquote big enough person to do that, I think that that undermines your leadership credibility. And soon you'll be looking over your shoulder and find that there's no one following and you can't lead if people aren't there to follow, you know, to come right. along with. Right. 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 And, and I think that's, that's important. I think self-awareness is pretty vital. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then what do you do if you're conflicted about what to do in terms of a course of an action? And I, I, I know the society has a lot going on and it's, there's a lot of complicated things going on that are great, but there's, there's still a lot of things and I'm sure you make a lot of decisions on a daily basis. So how do you handle that when you're like, mm, I'm not sure what to do? Well, I always think of when you go to claim your free knives at the at the sale where they're trying to pressure you into buy the, buying the condo. I always think that there aren't any decisions that are substantive that have to be made like that. And I always think that if somebody is crowding me about a decision that is substantive, that for me is a flag to stop and slow down because I think there are a variety of reasons why people do that, right? And that is not to be confused with an urgent decision that must be made. But when I come to the point where I don't know, I'm very fortunate in that I have a great, I have a great board of directors that I could talk to, send an email about about things, call up. You know, of course, we have the management staff to consult about historical perspectives. But I mean, there are other people that have been the president of this society who might have some good insight. There are other mentors in the society that might could help me through something. Because, you know, you don't have to divulge all the details sometimes to get guidance on something. And to be honest with you, talking out loud to myself, I am a spiritual person. Sometimes I pray. Sometimes I I just want to talk it out. And sometimes it's good to talk it out with people who don't have any bearing on it. So Mm -hmm. that could be my mom or my dad, you know, something like that. I think that when you don't make a decision or you're you're non-committed to your decision, that is a decision. Because there's really only two answers that I'm aware of, and yes and no. And I think that it's important to consider everything and not be totally off the cuff. However, there are times when you have to make quick decisions and be nimble. And so I think that when you have to phone your board or talk to somebody, that's what you have to do. And as the president, I don't ever feel like I'm by myself because I, it isn't about me. Like I don't sit in my house and think, okay, what 10 decisions can I make today for this society? It's never like that. And I do like to talk things over with people. And as you know, Jody, you're a member of the board, you know, talking things over, getting people's perspective, you know, during board meetings, you know, I'll be quiet to the point of painfulness till somebody talks if necessary. I want every voice to be heard because it's, it's important to get as much input you know, as possible. Obviously, we can't call up the members of the society, 5,800 people to find out what they're thinking about an issue today. But, you know, I also am a fan of 
focus groups and things like that, which don't go to quick, important decisions, but can go to things like strategic planning and things like that. I think it's important to try to get as much input as we can. All right. And when you, you're looking for volunteers, you talked a little bit on the webinar about how opportunities and how people could get connected with somebody to volunteer. But do you, like when you're trying to fill a maybe an important position or maybe even an entry-level position, what are the big characteristics that you look for when you're either selecting somebody or recommending somebody? First of all, I think that sometimes People think, and I want to talk about the society really at large and especially at the national level, although the regional affiliates are a great place to volunteer. That is a great place to get training. Regions and affiliates, though, are a a bit different from national volunteerism and that kind of thing. But I'll tell you this. I think that sometimes people don't volunteer because they're concerned that they're not good enough, smart enough, have enough experience, all that stuff. And all of that is poppycock. Because it doesn't matter if you're a wound nurse out of school for a year, you have a perspective that needs to be heard somewhere. And if you wanted to become involved at the national level, there's still a place for you as a brand new person. There is, because you don't have to be a nurse for 50 years before you get involved. I think sometimes people think that, and that's not true. This society, as you know, Jody, is very dynamic. We have standing committees. We have task forces that come and go. And we have things that we'll be doing towards the end of the year that we may not even know about today that will require people. So I think that no matter the level of experience, people who might be interested in volunteering and just getting started should just, you know, reach out to info at wcn.org. And that's a way to start you know, at least putting your interest out there. I think for people who are just getting started, I think it doesn't matter what kind of person you are or aren't as far as a leader goes. I think that when you start serving, if you don't know who you are, you begin to find out that you're a person who likes to lead or facilitate versus I'm really more of a worker bee type person. That's fine. We got to have worker bees and we got to have leaders and we got to have everything in between. As far as filling committee chair seats or task force chair seats or, you know, something like that, I always find that people who have experience as a committee person do best at having a chair position because it gives them a point of reference of how that committee ran. So, for example, Kathy McLaughlin is in charge of the accreditation committee, which accredits all the WalkNet programs. That's a pretty intricate process. And you used to do that. So, you know that that's true. So, you know, when we look for a committee chair, it would be awful nice when it's time for Kathy to name a co-chair if someone on that committee would kind of step up to the plate and want to do that. And the reason how come is because it's intricate. However, it's a committee that has a lot of spiky, busy times. Since accreditation is only done every several years, five, six, seven years, you know, there's a law period to learn the job. So maybe someone who has other committee experience who has demonstrated themselves as a leader in a position like that, which is very vital, that's very detail-oriented, maybe that person would be a good fit, for example, for that committee. So, I mean, I think that it depends on what we're looking at. When we're looking at elected positions in the society, 
talking first about region and affiliate, I would say that, you know, if you'd like to be the president elect or the president, you should probably have served somewhere in the region before you jump in without your life preserver on just for sanity's sake. Right. Uh, I think at the national level, it's very important. Board members will tell you that it is such a large commitment and there's so much going on with our complex society that it's nice to maybe start serving as a committee person or as a director, perhaps, before one would maybe jump into the president-elect position, just to give you some reference. But I think, you know what, that you can't win if you don't play. And so the best thing you can do is put yourself out there and start talking to people and get involved and just, you know, sometimes people don't know where to serve or how to serve. And I always just say, start serving and it'll, it'll work itself out. You'll figure it out. And I'm all about having lots of people volunteer. I think that's super important. I think it's important as nurses to give back, right? And so our profession is in crisis. Now it seems like we don't have time to give back, but this is the very time we need to start doing that because we got to take care of each other and we've got to figure out what to do to continue to proliferate our specialty into the future. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to thank all the listeners who gave us all these extra questions that we were able to talk about today in our time together. And anything else, Dia, that we should talk about or that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you in our time together today? Oh, my goodness. I would say one thing, I guess. You know, I ran for president three times of this organization, three. It was a history-making three times. (laughs) I don't think anyone had run for three times. And after the second time, I figured, you know, that I should throw in the towel. But I'm awful glad that my friends talked me into it. And I'm awful glad someone asked me because as daunting as this job can be sometimes, I have to pinch myself sometimes and think about how lucky, how blessed I am that people thought that I would be a good fit for this job. And I carry the weight of making the society better for the members so that the members can do better for their patients every single day. So all that to say, don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your dreams. Get involved. If you try something and it doesn't work, okay, try something else and just keep at it because we need you. We need you. Great. Thank you. If you're looking for more information, go to the WOCN website at wocn.org backslash empowered for many resources relative to the empowerment and the professional role of the WOC nurse. The recording from the webinar that was delivered on Wednesday afternoon will be available in the Continuing Education Center for on-demand consumption soon, if it's not already. The sessions will be free of charge, and there will be CE available for those episodes. This year's WOC Nurse Week events were sponsored by Medela, including the webinar and podcast. The WOCN Society does not endorse or support products or services. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Walk Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. Please visit WOCN.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, 
That's WOCN.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk. Walk Talk.